4 as we continue through this book. I think it's a great book for uh, the local church and uh, always as uh, we we use the Bible to uh, in two different ways. We, we take the commands of the Bible and then the examples of the Bible as well. And Dave gives, gives us such a great example in uh, the book of Acts, the early church. Uh, Peter and John are the first of the disciples to experience persecution. Now, you would think that healing a man uh, like they had just done in chapter 3 uh, would get them honor and praise, but that's not what happened. Persecution came from uh, the result of their work of the Lord there in actually healing a man, helping a man. I find it interesting that it is still somewhat that way today. Uh, we, we do not... You would think that Christianity would get a lot of laud and honor for the uh, many people that that, that uh, better themselves through Christianity, but that is not uh, accepted in the world as something uh, that is to be honored uh, the way that it should be. Uh, but in Acts chapter 4, I want to start reading verse number 1. I want to talk tonight about orders from above, orders from above. And as they spake, verse 1, unto the people, the priests, and the certain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Now, just remember the setting. This is right after they healed the man. Uh, is right after Peter saw the crowd approaching, and he preaches to the crowd and uh, gives that great message that we went through last Sunday night. And then uh, right after this, now the, the uh, religious leaders are, uh, of course, offended and taking action. Now, verse 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, we, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I don't think Peter was being snarky, but that was a little bit of a sarcastic statement. All right, if we're, in, if we're on trial here for healing someone, if we're on trial for helping someone, I guess I'll answer your question. Uh, so I like that if he threw there in verse 9. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament in its example. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You think? He's standing. He couldn't stand before. Now he's standing there. They can't say anything about that. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a miracle, or a notable miracle, hath been done by them as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, no matter how much we want to. We can't deny it. We can't deny a miracle's been done. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man 
in this name. That'll get them. We'll order them. They can't preach anymore. They can't talk about Jesus anymore. Yeah, let's do that. Obviously, they'll be scared and intimidated by this force standing in front of them. Verse 18, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Orders from above. Peter and John got an order. But, verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether, is, uh, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God. Orders from above. They had also orders from above, a little further above these men giving them orders. So they said, you decide, judge ye, he said. Is it better for us to obey you or to obey God? And then verse 24, we cannot, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Orders from above. Father, we pray tonight you'd help us as we look at these verses and unpack uh, this story. Father, what a blessing to see these men the change that was affected in them when they received the Holy Spirit, knowing that we also are recipients of the Holy Spirit at salvation. We have access to the power that these men had, the enabling to do your work. I pray we take advantage of it tonight. Full on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Peter and John, we have a choice to make every day of our lives. We have a heavenly directive from God. We also have a societal expectation, whether it be uh, what society dictates in its culture or really what uh, the laws of the land push, like uh, they tell people that they have to make cakes for homosexual weddings or different things. There are some areas that really are suffering some of that persecution uh, even today. And the question that I want to approach tonight, whose orders from above do we obey? We, order the, we obey the orders directly above us or a little bit further up above? That's the question Peter asked here. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Great question. That's what we're going to look at this evening. Look at, uh, just kind of as we break this down and then look at some of the, uh, the divisions of this story here, looking first of all at the glory of his name. Uh, as he spake unto the people, this is verse 1, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. There was a sudden interruption while Peter was preaching the last part of verse uh, or chapter three. There, uh, Peter's preaching. He's uh, going to town. He's got a crowd, and uh, he does what every preacher wants to do when there's a crowd: get up on a stump and start preaching to him. And that's what Peter did. And he's given them the word of God. Uh, but while they're while he's doing that, the temple authorities are watching the growing crowd. They're getting more and more worried, and the time has come to put a stop to it. And notice the focus of their anger here. The priests were angry because of where Peter was preaching, and the Sadducees were angry because of what Peter was preaching. They were angry the fact the Sadducees, as you know, did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. All right. The captain of the temple was an important Jewish official. He was outranked by the priest, uh, high priest himself, and only by the high priest. Uh, the Sadducees were a key Jewish sect in the New Testament times. They were wealthy. They were influential. Uh, the high priest was usually chosen from their ranks. Uh, they worked along with the Roman officials. They were in cahoots with them. Uh, they hobnobbed back and forth with them. The Sadducees were the party that now led the people in rejection 
in the rejection of Christ. Now, if you remember through the gospel, it was always the Pharisees. They are the ones that led the charge in rejecting Christ. They're the ones that would try to confuse Christ and uh, get him into traps. Now, in the book of Acts, you see the Sadducees are leading the charge in the rejection of Christ. But they found themselves in a really bad position because one of the keynotes of the Sadducee doctrine was not believing in the resurrection. And here you have a man that everybody knows, Jesus Christ, who was crucified partly through their efforts, and then he rose again from the dead and kind of uh, upended their primary doctrine. They tried to cover it up, uh, but truth will out, and truth did out. And I, uh, much of Jerusalem believed, and here were these disciples talking about being witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Rather than admit their error, they led in the persecution of the church. They hated Christ. They hated the name Jesus. They hated the, the so-called resurrection. Their anger was focused now on Peter and John, who are publicly preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. This is what happens, by the way, uh, often when theories are challenged and proved false. Uh, you'll see this is in the political arena, too, when you disprove a theory or you show that somebody is wrong. Rather than backing up and apologizing, uh, a lot of times people in their own pride won't say I was wrong. And instead, they double down. They dislike those who refute them. And this was the Sadducees. Their anger is up and their anger is focused here on a couple of humble fishermen. And these humble fishermen should be easy to defeat after all. The Sadducees are learned, they are dignified, they are respected, and these are nothing but country bumpkin fishermen. But look at their futile effort, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold or in jail, basically, until the next day, for now it was eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. It was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, remember, when all this began, when they first showed up at the temple to pray. Hours had passed now. The man had been healed. Peter had preached. And it was now evening. But what a day. Man, what a day. Silver and gold have I none. What I have. And he healed the man. Would to God the church would have more days like this. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. Now thousands more were being added. Uh, the arrest of Peter and John uh, happened, but it couldn't stop the Holy Spirit from continuing to do the work, and people were still getting saved. Uh, the events of the day could not be silenced. Look at what happens here the next day. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. Uh, this was a gathering of the Sanhedrin. The crowd had gathered here and they are about to do everything they can to intimidate these two fishermen. The Sanhedrin composed of 72 members. The high priest was the leader of this group. Uh, the minority was made up of the Pharisees. This is where most of the scribes belonged. Annas was the previous high priest. Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas. Uh, just a short uh, few, few short months ago, this pair had tried or played a role in getting Jesus crucified. Now they wanted to try and get rid of the church. Little or nothing is known of Alexander uh, and John, but the theory is that they were members of the high priest's clan there. Uh, look at the question. They set them in the midst. They asked the question, by what power or by what name have you done this? There it is. That's the big question. This is the root of it all. What name did they do it in? Peter could not have been handed a better leading question. What is the rule? 
As a prosecutor, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Well, they did. They didn't know or realize it maybe, but they handed him the answer in a silver platter. Psalm 76.10, by the way, uh, says that surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. You've got some wrathful men here, some angry men, and uh, this is going to be used to actually bring glory to his name. Look at the answer. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, he makes it very clear that by the name at the end of the verse there, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. There it is again. He's direct. He is not pulling any punches. He is telling it as it is, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. You have to just put yourself, just take a moment and, and picture the scene. You have two men here in front of all these dignified, they're in three-piece suits and headdresses and all the things they wore, and, and uh, they're... they're they're men of power, they're men of means, they're men of influence. And Peter stands in front of them. We did it in the name of Jesus Christ, who you jokers crucified, but no matter, God raised him in the third day. I know 72 of you don't believe in the resurrection, but God raised him from the dead. This is bold. Peter's right in the midst there, telling him this. I like how Peter started, though. Uh, if this day we're going to be examined for a good deed, if we're on trial for a good deed, what do we do anyway? We uh, put a man, or we healed a man. So if this, uh, uh, what is it called, a monkey trial or a, 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 a kangaroo court, whatever you want to call it, if this kangaroo court is meeting to, to put us on trial for helping a man, well, here's your answer. What made him whole? Jesus Christ made him whole. We did it in the name of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the name we used. And you want to know who he is? He's the one that you crucified. He's the one that God rose on the third day. Boy, this would offend the Sadducees on the resurrection part. It would offend the Pharisees on the crucifixion part. Good thing Peter didn't have Twitter back then. They'd have been all up in a, in a battle about that. Uh, Peter didn't hesitate to hand it right back to him. They wanted a name, they got a name. Before they could reply, Peter went on. He's intent, he's kind of plunged in the knife. Now he's going to twist a little bit. He talked about their guilt. Look what he says. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. Now they knew this quote well. It comes from Psalm 118.22. It's a messianic prophecy that he's referring to here. It's a, the symbol of a stone as Christ, uh, or, or Christ as a stone, is very well known to them. Isaiah had spoken of Christ, the coming Christ, as a stone of stumbling in Isaiah 8.14. David had visualized Christ as a stone descending from heaven. I'm sorry, not David, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. But this just had to infuriate them because uh, the accusation was very clear. This is the prophesied Messiah that you put to death, and he's tying that into Scripture here. Uh, then he says, which has become the head of the corner. Now, they refuse to admit it, but the resurrection of Christ has been proved, and it is common knowledge among the people. Many, was it 500 witnesses had seen Jesus raised from the dead? They knew he had risen from the dead. Uh, they could not produce a body, and believe me, they would have if they could have, but they could not. Uh, all they could do is pay a couple of guards to circulate false stories, but even those had fallen flat on their face. Jesus' ascension had been witnessed by many too. His resurrection had been witnessed, and the San Sanhedrin surely had heard about it. And it didn't matter if they didn't, because they're hearing about it now from Peter. He's letting them know this was the stone that they 
the builders had rejected. He had ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. This is all Peter is working to bring glory uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ here. So he talked about their guilt. He talked about Christ's glory. And then a Christ's grace. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is one of the greatest gospel texts in the New Testament. Not in the name of Confucius, not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of Allah. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of Abraham, Moses, or any other of our forefathers. It is in the name of Christ. Only in the name of Jesus is salvation to be found. The name of Jesus uh, by which the lame man had been healed. The name of Jesus who they hated. They hated that name. But it was the only name that they uh, could be saved. And here's the grace part about it. Like we mentioned in chapter 3, you're the one that put him to death, and yet they could be saved. Isn't that something? Here's Peter. They had crucified the dearest person in his life, and they could still be saved. And Peter's including them. Neither is there salvation any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among, whereby we, we must be saved. They could be saved and they must be saved. But to, turn, to be saved, they would have to turn to Jesus who they had crucified. But isn't it an amazing thing? And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but in that 72, if there had been one person, maybe there was, we don't know. What if there had been one person who would have recognized we did crucify the Messiah, he did raise from the dead, and turned to Christ. God would have saved him and taken him to heaven forever. That's grace. Man, you'd think that after they did what they did, you're done for, no hope, no chance, but that's not the case. If we're breathing, there's still hope. God would save them if they would come to Christ. That's a great grace of God. And then uh, let's move on. So we see the greatness of his fame here. The men, uh, this is a couple of things that the these uh, kangaroo court saw here. They saw the men who had been with Jesus. This great verse, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That had been discussed as they were talking about amongst themselves, maybe over uh, a, a drink the night before. These are fishermen. They're nobody. They haven't been to school. They haven't got any learning. Uh, we can take them down. We'll twist them up. We'll, we'll get them all messed up in their wording. This is going to be easy. These are just fishermen. But here they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These people were so pompous and condescending and uh, thought themselves so much better. They were the elite. They were the high up, the powerful, the one that everybody looked up to. But they could not believe how proficiently Peter handled the Scriptures. He was more effective at it than they were. Rabbis trained in the subtleties of all the theological arguments. And here's Peter sticking the Word of God right down their throats and showing them. What does the Bible say? It's like a... Uh, it's a sharp sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's what Peter was doing here. Nor is there any uh, denying the boldness of Peter and John. Again, these were country bumpkins that should be, they should be intimidated by the very surroundings. I mean, they've got them sitting down and they're all sitting around stern looking at them. And, and these are men of power and men of means and men of position. These men should have been trembling, but they weren't trembling. No, in fact, they were handing it right back to him. They should have stood down there looking at him, heads down, kicking it 
the floor and embarrassed and intimidated by them. But no, they look more like ambassadors from the courts of heaven because that's exactly what they were. And there was no denying the fact that they had been with Jesus. They talked like Jesus talked. I have to think that some of these Pharisees, yeah, I remember when we tried to tie Jesus in knots with his words too, and he made mincemeat of us. Uh, these men were like Jesus was. Remember, this is Peter who ran from a girl. This is Peter who denied Jesus three times. But now, after Acts 1.8 and the Holy Spirit came uh, at Pentecost here, uh, it's not the same Peter anymore. Now, uh, they talked like Jesus had talked. They dealt with the Pharisees the way Jesus had dealt. And when the Pharisees pushed, they pushed right back just like Jesus did. And they didn't back down. And, and uh, by the way, there's no higher compliment that could be given to any of us than they could see they've been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question tonight. Can people tell this about you? Can people tell you or tell that you also have been with Jesus? Their enemies identified them with Jesus Christ. And what did they do? They marveled. Marveled. They saw something else too, not only the men who had been with Jesus, but the man who had been brought to Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. There he was, healed. He was standing tall with Peter and John. He could have easily slipped away in the crowd. He could have went back to his family, but he wanted to be with the Lord's men here. He didn't say a word, but he had unflinching testimony of a changed life. Think of it. Think of the scene there. All the worldly superiority of these men, thinking they're so much better, and they're confounded by the simple witness of a couple of Galilean fishermen and a Jerusalem beggar. <laughs> I love it. I love the scene. They're just all in stitches here, not knowing what they're going to do. It's a couple of nobodies and this beggar. God does use weak things to confound the mighty, doesn't he? That's what the Bible says. He'll use you, by the way. He'll use me. Even in our own ignorance, if we're just faithful to him, he'll use us. The rulers found themselves in a serious quandary. They had expected an easy victory over these nobodies. Instead of nobodies, they found the Holy Spirit living in the heart of three of heaven's somebodies. Amen. And God uses them. Look what they said. Well, when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? I just, I love this. We want to do, I can hear the whispering. I can hear the scheming. And a miracle's been done. I mean, we can't do anything about it. I mean, everybody can see the man's being healed, and, and we cannot deny it. Boy, we'd love to deny it, and we'd like to, but everybody knows that, that he's been healed. He's right there. The miracle is the talk of the town. Everybody's Facebook post. It's about the miracle. It's about the healing. They've got selfies with the man uh, that, that's standing right there behind him, and, and uh, every Starbucks is filled with the gossip about what's going on in town here. Everybody in Jerusalem knew the beggar. Everybody is talking about it. Everybody's seen him for years. Years. Yeah, they're going to talk about it. Now I can walk. And the ones who did it gave 100% credit to the name of Jesus Christ. This is the same one that the council had tried to crucify, or well, did crucify, but had been risen from the dead. Yeah, these guys are in stitches. What are they going to do? Everything they, that they're trying to, to contain here, it's out because that's what happens with truth. And, and I believe, again, that they love to deny that the man had been healed, but they could not do it. They cannot meaning they could if they would. You know what I find interesting? This is just a side thought, but how many times did Jesus go to the temple in his ministry? How many times did Jesus walk past that man? I, I would assume the man had been there for years. 
I assume probably many times Jesus walked right by him. Maybe Jesus spoke to him at some point. Maybe Jesus gave him a little, uh, a, some spare change one time through Jews. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I have to think that Jesus had seen him and many others he healed. But he didn't heal this man. Didn't heal this guy sitting at the temple. Why? Because it had to be done in God's timing. Isn't that interesting? Jesus had healing in store for him. But it didn't happen until God's timing was just right. This man was to be healed by a risen Christ, not a pre-crucified Christ. He was going to be healed by a risen Christ, bringing God all the more glory. So often we might cry out, why doesn't God fix my problem now? Why, Lord, won't you answer my prayer now? And maybe he has an answer in store for us in his timing that will bring all the more glory to him. Let's just trust him. Let's be found faithful in the process. Look at the decision of the rulers. But that it spread no further among the people. We can't, we can't let truth keep spreading. Let us straightly threaten them. Can I, I, I just love this. Because can, you, can, I, can I remind you that at one time this would have worked against Peter? Ooh, he'd have been like, yes, sir, no more. I'll do exactly what you say. He wilted the night before the crucifixion. At one time... Don't miss this. At one time, Peter was filled with resolution. Matthew 26, 35, Peter said unto him, Though I shall die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Now Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a lot different than resolution. We can have resolutions. We can make up our mind that we'll be a certain way like Peter did and fall flat on our face. But now Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is going to make him a different person as we'll see. How sad, by the way, that the Sanhedrin, their concern was not to get to the truth, but to prevent the truth from spreading. Always the, 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 uh, the, the way that religion operates. Peter had just preached the truth of salvation to these men. What do they do? Let's make sure nobody else hears this. How do we keep this from spreading? Let it spread no further among the people. But here's the thing about truth, though. It cannot be contained. One person said it this, thing, this way, three things that cannot be hidden, the sun, the moon, and truth. <laughs> we can try to hide it. We can't hide it. The truth will eventually get out. This tidal wave of truth would take over much of the world and is still in effect today. And then they uh, will finish the worst verse here. Uh, that they speak no, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them. All right. Time for you guys to get back in here. They're all sitting there, all grumpy-faced, serious-faced. Somebody, the bailiff or whoever, marches Peter and John in and set them in the chairs there in front of them again. And they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Orders from above. Here are the orders. Can no longer preach Jesus' name. Jewish leaders hated the name Jesus. <coughs> that hasn't changed, by the way, in 2,000 years. Satan hates that name does everything he can to belittle it and to blaspheme it. You think it's a, it's a coincidence that Jesus Christ has become a curse word in our society? That God is attached to damn and has become a curse word? It's not a, it's not a coincidence. Satan does everything he can to blaspheme the name of Christ. Uh, but the day is coming, Romans 14, 11, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Well, Peter and John have a choice to make. They have to make a 
choice here of orders. They had orders from above. They had orders from directly above them, and now, but they also had orders from much further above them. Who would they obey? But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. I love this. By the way, this is exactly something Jesus would have said. Peter's, it's obvious Peter's been with Christ because he's talking like Jesus would have talked. How many times did Jesus throw a question back at the questioners? And uh, here they commanded him, and, and Peter just answered, throws a question back. For we cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. This is the first instance of New Testament civil disobedience. They're faced with the choice of authority. And this, this again, don't miss this, because this is where our choice lies. They're, they're faced with the choice of two orders, the Sanhedrin and the Savior. That's the two orders they have. And they've got to make a choice who they're going to obey. Now, in the New Testament, to, 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 to make sure we set this down right, the New Testament, government authority is always honored. Romans 13, 1, the powers that be are ordained of God. In fact, Romans 13 is a great chapter to share with police officers. If you, uh, I love showing police officers, whether they're saved or not, they are in the ministry. Did you know that? Uh, the Bible talks in Romans 13 about the ministry that uh, the civil servants are in, police officers specifically. Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have rule over you. Jesus even said himself, render under Caesar the things that, which are Caesar's. By the way, even if Caesar is a tyrant, which he was, still render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus is not a fan of running out or cheating on your taxes. All right, give to the government. What's the government's? But where are we to make an exception in obeying Caesar? When Caesar abuses his power and commands us to do something morally or spiritually wrong, that's when we have to defer to orders from above that come up a little higher than him. This is where we have to draw the line, even at the risk of jail or death. We're always to order, uh, to obey orders from above. But if they conflict with the orders from above above, then we have to question that. Okay? The 55 mile an hour speed limit does not conflict with the Bible. Okay? So we obey that. Amen? We do it with a smile. We put on our seatbelts because it's the law. We obey the law. We should obey the law. We don't try to get away with it. We don't cheat on our taxes. We don't uh, uh, disobey laws if we don't get caught. We, don't, uh, uh, we, we are supposed to be, as Christians, we ought to honor and obey the laws of the land. But sometimes the orders directly above us contradict with the orders that are above them, and that's where we have to be uh, wise. Peter simply throws the question back at them and asks them, what do you think? You telling us then, gentlemen, that we should obey you above God? Should we obey God or man? The answer, by the way, is obvious. And then, perhaps the most convicting part of that verse, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now think about that. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's like a lady that tries and tries and tries and then loses 10 pounds, 15 pounds. She cannot but speak the things that happen in her life. You know what I'm saying? Something really good happens, really exciting happens. We can't help but talk about it. We can't keep it down. 
uh, we were in Missouri a couple weeks ago when uh, we were when uh, John and Sarah had their appointment to find out the gender. We still believe in genders here, by the way. Uh, the gender of their unborn baby, and needless to say. We're hoping for a granddaughter. We got enough boys running around. Amen. We need a girl. Okay, right, Stephen? Amen, Micah. Okay, so we were. Uh, we need a. We were just. We we're hoping. And my wife, she's really hoping for a girl. So we were on Facetime in the. Uh, they had the the computer. So we went off to a, a room there at my my parents' house and we we're watching the the uh, appointment on Facetime. And then those words by the nurse. It's a girl. It was exciting, and. Uh, we're on our way downstairs. We finished up the call there and, and uh, re rejoiced with them for a minute. We're on the way downstairs, and, and my wife says, I don't think I'm going to tell them yet. And I'm just, okay, that's, I didn't say anything in my mind. We'll see how long this lasts. And I think maybe, I don't know, five seconds? It's a girl! You know, we told everybody. It was, a, it was an exciting thing. Why? Because we cannot but speak the things which we have seen. Her. There's some things that are so exciting, so life-impacting, we can't help but to talk about it. That's what Peter's saying. And I'd like to ask the question, just you consider this in your heart. Is that true for you? Is your salvation so exciting? Is it so impacting in your life? You just can't help talking to people about it. We cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard. Are, are, you, are you the kind of Christian that you try to keep quiet about the things of God and it just overflows out of you? That's the kind of Christian Peter was. I can't look, guys, he's saying, even if I wanted to keep my mouth shut, I couldn't. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. There's no way because of what God's done for me. Man, that's convicting right there. That's more convicting to me than the whole obey God rather than men, because we currently don't live really in an area in which we have to make that choice often, honestly. I mean, we don't have to, if I want to knock on somebody's door and witness to them, I can do that. Nobody's stopping me. Nobody's throwing me in jail. If I want to give a gospel tract out, somebody might get mad at me once in a while, and I've had them shoved back at me, and I've had uh, rejections, and, and that's okay, but that, I haven't been beaten up. I haven't been put in jail. I haven't been uh, whipped for it. I haven't been put, put in the stocks for it. So we really don't have to really deal with that part of the verse. The time may come, many places in the world that don't, do have to deal with that, but right now, where we are, we don't have to deal with that obey God rather than men. But that second part, let's drive that point home to us. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Apply that. Apply that to your life. Ask yourself if that verse applies to you. I know that convicts me because that's not true in my life. I wish it were. I want to get to that point. But I can meet somebody talk to him for a while, walk away and think, ah, I forgot to give him a gospel tract or I forgot to witness to him or I didn't even think about it one time. That's not Peter. Peter said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's called a fanatic, somebody that just won't shut up about what they're excited about. We oughtn't be obnoxious, but we ought to be excited about the things of God. Now, what do we do with orders from above? We have God's orders, Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, again, we don't have direct legal orders like Peter and John did not to preach the name of Christ, but we do have society's dictates. 
this morning, I, what I preached on this morning, uh, and, and uh, what I talked about when I spoke about abortion, uh, it was, was they're, they're real close in California now. I just read a, a, a new law that was passed recently. Um, I could have, at least, maybe I wouldn't have went to jail, but I could have had charges pressed against me for what I said this morning if I were in California. That's how bad it's getting out there right now uh, in, in the attacks against preaching because, I, uh, because you're guilty of a hate crime, they say, if you talk about gender, if you talk about uh, abortion and those type of things. Uh, so we do have a society that we're dealing with, and society does not want us to talk about those things. Uh, they would like for us to keep quiet about social issues. Uh, and, and I tell you, it's not an easy thing to do to preach on those things because uh, the, the most, most preachers today, sadly, do not touch social issues and, uh, because it's divisive. And, uh, and I saw it this morning. We had quite a few visitors here this morning, and I saw on the faces of several people when I started talking about abortion that it was not being well received and uh, was not being agreed with but but I do believe it's an important part of our church to deal with some of these issues and we'll continue to do it we'll talk about it we did a whole a couple of Sunday night series on social drinking I think that's important uh, we'll talk about abortion we'll talk about gender issues not to be political but to be biblical amen and uh, so why because I believe we have orders from above preach the whole counsel of God teach these different areas, and that supersedes orders from not quite so far above. Does that make sense? We obey God, we obey men. We always, always obey God. But I want to leave you with that last verse, we cannot but speak. I hope that's you. I hope that that's uh, something you're at least working toward to where you become such a so excited about the things of God that you just can't help talking about it. All right, that's what happened when you had your first child. That's for sure what happened when you had your first grandchild. You became insufferable, uh, carrying pictures around, showing it to people who could care less, but you're excited about it and uh, sharing it with them. And uh, let's do that with Christ. Amen. Father, we